It is good to see everyone here tonight. We are very thankful for your presence. You may be visiting with us tonight, and we would like to welcome you to the Willow Avenue Church of Christ. Before I get into the lesson tonight, I'm going to tell you something totally off topic because of the fact that I've been in a wheelchair for the last several years I put a lot of weight on around my waist, at least that's the excuse I'm using, and because of that, I've had to order some new clothes. And so I ordered this jacket on clearance from Joe's A. Banks, and I didn't tell Sherry I was doing it, and it came in the mail, and she took it out, and she looked at it and said, huh, I don't know about that. So I told her when we got in the car today, I got like 10 compliments on that jacket today. So I appreciate y'all uh, making me feel better about that because I was a little self-conscious with it today. I had planned to preach about heaven tonight, but I'm going to do something a little different instead. And I'm going to preach on heaven not this next week because I'm going to be in Florida on a lectureship this next week. And um, I regret that I'm going to be gone I'm not going to be here for uh, the Anderson funeral, and I really wish I could be. Uh, that is such an extremely fine family, but I know the congregation is going to support them greatly. But Sherry and I will be in Florida. Uh, we also have a grandbaby that's supposed to be coming at the end of the week. She is past her due date, and if she does not come by, what is it, Friday or Saturday, they're going to induce labor. So we also should be getting a grandbaby at the end of the week. So. Two weeks from today, I'm going to preach the sermon on heaven, but I want to begin tonight, and I want to talk to you about a young man whose name I have mentioned to you several times recently. His name is Devin Grove. Here is a picture of Devin. This is his girlfriend, Jessica. Devin was shot a couple of months ago. He was shot three times. As a result of this, he is now a paraplegic, he is a C7. He is he's basically lost feeling from the same point that I have, but in addition to that, he also does not have use of his arms. And so that has put him in a much worse situation than am I. In fact, as I have visited with him, he tells me almost every time I come, man, I just wish I were like you. And I have left there thinking, that is just mind-boggling to hear someone say, I wish I were like you, because I so often bemoan my situation. We really have to stop and count our blessings, no matter what situation in which we find ourselves. Devin is in uh, Bethsaida, and he has uh, Nikki Orzine and Tanya Briggs are uh, caretakers for him, a therapist for him. And they talked to me some weeks ago about coming and talking to him because of our similar situation, and I did that. And I asked them if I could take a picture. This is Devin and his girlfriend, Jessica. They are amazing people, very, very pleasant, uh, such a joy to get to know. In subsequent weeks, I have asked you publicly and via email if you would reach out to them, and the congregation here has done that in such a very good way. Some people have gone and made visits. Some people have taken them food. Uh, people have sent cards, and they've got cards all around their room. I asked him, has he been getting cards? And he has just lit up 
Uh, he's been so very touched the way the congregation has reached out. Uh, Nikki and Sonia have continued to work with them on a daily basis. I've continued to meet with them and to study with them. I think I've uh, met with them four times now. When it became evident that Devin was interested and in being baptized, we started trying to think about how we were going to do that because he's a paraplegic and he also can't use his arms. One of the bullets went into his left arm and shattered the bone and so he's got difficulty even putting weight on that. He has a bullet still lodged in his neck and he also has had one that nicked his spinal, spinal cord. And so uh, Nikki and Sonia decided that what we could do is to purchase an inflatable pool. And they did that. And the plan was it was going to arrive Saturday, yesterday. They were going to set it up, figure it out, baptize him today. Friday night, he was taken to the ER with his blood pressure spiking. And he's, he was sweating profusely. They didn't know what was wrong. And it scared us. And it worried us. Long story short, they worked it out. He was taken back to the facility. On Saturday, they got the inflatable pool, and uh, let's see if I've got these in order. And then the, the idea was, how do we do this? And so they figured out a way to run the hose through the window, and they filled it up in their, uh, the gym, the room they do therapy in, and they practiced this thing with the Hoyer lift to see exactly how they were going to do this. I really wanted to baptize him myself, and I thought maybe I can, uh, considering where it is and, and the situation I could get in this chair. But considering his situation, we thought that it best uh, that I not try this. And so we asked Ben Smith if he would come and assist us with that, and he did. And we baptized him this afternoon. Uh, I took a video on my phone, or Sherry shot the video on my phone, actually, and I think we've got the video queued up that I want to share with you tonight. Uh, guys, do you all have that ready to go? The audio is not the greatest, so hopefully you can, can hear it. All right. This is a very special occasion. I have been studying with Devin and with Jessica. And Devin has indicated that he wants to obey the gospel, be baptized for the remission of his sins. Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized will be saved. Acts 2.38 says, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. And Devin has said he wants to do this. We are very, very blessed to have this opportunity. Devin, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Based upon that confession, we're going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the remission of your sins.
I left some of that extra in there because I wanted you to see the links that um, they went to to make this happen. But it shows where there is a will, there is a way. And he understood the need for baptism. And I wanted to take the opportunity to show you that tonight. Luke 15 and verse 10, which was a scripture reading tonight, says, Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This was a shot that we took before the baptism. Uh, you can see uh, Nikki and Sonia, but this is some of his family and some of her family who were excited to show up for the baptism. And we're hoping this will make an influence and impact on them. There are also some members there, some people that know him who attend the Bybee Branch Church of Christ in McMinnville. Uh, they are both from McMinnville, and they were excited to hear this, and they showed up. And so it was a, a great thing. These were a couple of shots after the baptism. The first one on the left is where they were rolling back in, and then the second one is on the right, and that is Jessica, his girlfriend. And we're continuing to study with Jessica, and I will be surprised if we don't baptize Jessica uh, in the near future. Uh, I took a couple of shots afterwards so you could see the pool and them draining the water out of it. The thought was, how do you get the water out of this pool? And they did it one bucket at a time. And they took it out and poured it in the sink until they got that out of there. What I want to do for the next several minutes is this. I want to talk about evangelism. What the church did here was great. Everyone worked together in such a way as to make a conversion, and that is the idea of the plan that we've been doing with the Back to the Bible series. People reach out to them, they show them love, we teach them, and it has all worked together in such a magnificent way. In Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 8, Jeremiah said, For when I spoke, I cried out, I shouted, violence and plunder, because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and derision daily. What is he talking about? Jeremiah was saying that he was being ridiculed for teaching the word of the Lord. And so in verse 9 he said, I will, make, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. That is, Jeremiah said, you know what? After being ridiculed for teaching the word of God, I can't take this anymore. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to teach anymore. But keep reading. He says, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. That is, Jeremiah said, I'd had it. People were deriding me, they were ridiculing me, they were abusing me. I said, forget it, I'm not going to teach the word of the Lord anymore. And then he said, oh, I can't take it. He said, it was like a burning fire in my bones and I had to preach it. Brethren, that's exactly the way it ought to be for us. Here's another passage. This is Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 18. Ezekiel, speaking for God, says, When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at your hand. Yet, if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your own soul. This is a frightening passage. 
especially the part that says, His blood will I require at your hand? That is the Lord saying, if you don't teach other people, they're going to be lost. But then here's the part. He says, you bear part of the responsibility for that, and you will answer for that. What I want to do for the rest of our time for just a few minutes tonight is I want to share with you some techniques that I use when I am having Bible studies, when I am teaching other people. This might seem a little bit weird to you, but when I'm having studies with people, I have a stack of blank paper, and I draw little cartoons to illustrate things because I think everything's easy, easier to understand when you can illustrate it. So what I'm going to do for the next several minutes is I'm going to show you some of the sketches that I use in teaching. And if you want to use them to teach others, it will be great. And if you are here and you think, I don't know this, it should be helpful to you as well. I got to thinking, wow, I'm going to do this on PowerPoint so I can make some fancy graphics and then I thought, no, I want them to see exactly how they look when I sketch it out on a piece of paper. So what I did was I sketched it out on a piece of paper, and I scanned it and put it into the PowerPoint. Now, I'm going to begin with some baptism charts. The reason I'm going to do that is over the years when I have been conducting Bible studies, there's a funny thing that I've observed, and that is oftentimes when you teach people that the Bible says you've got to hear the gospel, people don't have a problem with that. When you teach that you need to believe the gospel, people readily embrace that. When you teach that we must repent of our sins, I've never had anyone disagree about that. When you say that a person must confess Christ, I don't recall any objections to that. But people have trouble when it comes to the subject of baptism. And a lot of that comes from things that they've been taught, and maybe if they've been taught faith only, then baptism is something different. And so it takes some additional teaching when it comes to the subject of baptism. And so I go through several charts that you may find beneficial. Here is the first chart. I call this the man who needs to be washed of sin chart. I know that's a long title. I don't know what else to call it. This is where I begin. Again, these are not fancy. They are hand-drawn just the way I do it in a Bible study. I began with Romans 6.23. The Bible says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And then I draw a stick man. And I usually put a smile on his face because this is before the man ever sins. He's happy. In fact, sometimes I draw him short because usually before you sin, you're a kid, you're a young person, and it's before you've grown up that you commit your first sin. But anyway, here's a man before he sins. Then the person reaches the point that he sins. Then I draw the man again with a frown on his face, and I scribble on the man. And I tell them this scribble, this squiggly line, represents sin. Now, Romans 6.23 says the wages, the earning of sin, is eternal death. That's talking about hell. That is, sin will cause you to lose your soul eternally. And then I ask the question, if this sin causes a man to be lost, what is it you need to do to be saved? And they'll usually say, well, you need the blood of Christ. And I'll say, no, no, pretend you don't know anything about the blood of Christ. If this sin on this man causes you to be saved, what is it that you need? And they'll say, well, you need to get rid of the sin. And that is exactly right. So how do you get rid of the sin? And then we go to two verses, Acts twenty-two sixteen. 16. And now, 
What are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sin. If sin causes you to be lost, how do you get rid of the sin? You're baptized to wash away your sin. Here's a second one. Acts 2.38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. And then I point out, sin causes you to be lost. Baptism washes away sin. Baptism takes care of the problem. It fixes the sin problem. All right? Here is a second chart. Now, again, it's a very, very simple chart. I draw a circle. And above the circle, I write body of Christ. This circle represents the body of Christ. Next to the circle, I draw a stick man, and I will say, this stick man represents you. You're standing next to, outside of, the body of Christ. And then I use two verses. The first one is 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 10. It says, Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus. Now that circle represents the body of Christ Jesus. And this verse says that salvation is in Christ Jesus. So I write salvation in the circle. Then I do a second verse. It is 1 John chapter 5 and verse 11. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. And so I learned that eternal life is in the body of Christ. And so I write eternal life in that circle. And then I ask this question. If the body of Christ contains salvation and the body of Christ contains eternal life, and you are outside of the body of Christ, what do you want to know the answer to? People always get it right. They say, I want to know, how do I get into the body? How do I get inside of the circle? And that is the obvious answer. And so where do you find it? Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. The Bible teaches that the way we get into the circle, wherein is salvation and eternal life, is through baptism. We are baptized into Christ, Oops, and that puts us into the place where salvation and eternal life are found. All right, here is the next chart. This one is very, very super simple. I call this the blood versus baptism chart. And I start with the question, what is it that washes away my sins? And then I have two verses, Revelation 1.5 and Acts 22.16. Revelation 1.5 says that the, it says that Christ washed us from our sins in his own blood. Acts 22.16 says, arise and be baptized and wash away your sin. And I point out, one says the blood of Christ washes away sin. The other says baptism washes away sin. Which one is it? And then I give them another question. What is it that brings remission of sin? And I give them two verses. These two verses are Matthew 26, 28. Jesus said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the remission of sin. Jesus said his blood brings the remission of sin. And then Acts 2 and verse 38, again, repent, be baptized for the remission of sin. And I'll point out, 
We've got one verse that said blood brings remission. The other verse says baptism brings remission. And then I asked them, which one is it? Which one washes us, blood or baptism? Which one brings remission, blood or baptism? The Bible doesn't contradict itself, so which one is it? People always get it right. They say, well, it is both. And I'll say, how can that be? How can it be blood and baptism? People usually sit and they think for a bit. And they will say correctly, they must happen at the same time. And that is exactly right. When are we washed by the blood of Jesus in baptism? That's the only way both of these statements can be true without contradicting each other. Here's the next chart. I call this one contacting the blood. It's the perfect follow-up. What does, um, where does a man contact the blood of Christ? That's the question. When I ask people that, where does a man contact the blood of Christ, usually they look at me a bit strangely. Like, what are you talking about? What do you mean by that? And I will ask it a little differently. Where did Jesus shed his blood? They always get that. They say, on the cross. The next question then how do I contact that blood so that I can be saved? If he shed it on the cross and I need that blood to be saved, how do I contact it? I can't stand at the foot of the cross and let his blood drip on me. So what do I do? And here is the answer. This is Romans 6 and verse 3. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Jesus shed his blood in his death on the cross. When I am baptized, I am baptized into his death. And so, look at the chart. Again, I'm going to ask the question. Jesus shed his blood in his death. In baptism, I am buried into his death. That's where the blood is. So I contact the blood in baptism. Now look at verse 4. Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we too should walk in newness of life. Why do you suppose it is that we get newness of life when we come out of the water? Well, that's because I contacted the blood when I was buried into his death. And so when you look at the chart, what we have is we are baptized into his death. We go down into the water. We contact the blood that was shed in his death. And we're raised from the water to walk in newness of life. Here is the next chart. And I call this the ark chart. And I ask the question, does the Bible say that baptism saves us? And then we read this passage. 1 Peter 3 and verse 20, in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. So the Bible teaches that those who were on the ark were saved by water. How were the people who were on the ark saved by water? Well, what happened is the water raised the ark to safety while the water buried everyone else. If you were on the ark, you were saved by water. If you weren't on the ark, you were destroyed by water. Verse 21 says, the like figure, that is, the comparison that I'm making is, even baptism does now also save us. Peter's point was this, just as water saved them, water saves us. Now, how is that? 
what we just noticed. We are buried into the water. We are washed by the blood of Jesus, and we are raised to walk in newness of life. Water saved them, and he's saying in a very similar sense, water saves us. Here is the next one. This is maybe the simplest of all of these. This is the believe and baptize chart. I put up two blanks, blank plus blank equals saved. And then we read the verse, Mark 16, 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And then I ask them, fill in the blank. Blank plus blank equals saved. And all you do is repeat the verse, believe plus baptize equals saved. And then I ask this question, which one of those could you mark out and this still be true? Could you mark out belief and say, just be baptized and you'll be saved? No, you couldn't do that. What if you mark out baptized? Could you not be baptized and just believe and be saved? That doesn't work either. That is not what it says. Now, there are some other objections. We can answer those in another point, but I've never had anyone answer this question wrong. All right. I'm going to do one other chart here, and then I'm going to wrap it up for tonight. Occasionally, when I'm studying with someone, occasionally people get hung up on the idea of hearing the gospel. And the question that bothers them is something like this. They'll say, what if there's a person in the jungles of South America somewhere who's never heard the gospel? Surely God is going to save that person anyway, right? Surely they're not going to be lost because they haven't heard the gospel. And this is the verse that I use, Romans 10, 13, and 14. Notice what he says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And so the Bible tells us how to be saved, but it actually lays it out backwards. And so this is what I do. I go through it. The Bible says... If you want to be saved, this is how you do it. In order to be saved, you've got to call. That is equal to obeying, and we'll cover that in just a moment. But before you can call or obey, you've got to believe. And before you can believe, you've got to hear. And before you can hear, you've got to have a preacher or a teacher or a Bible. Somehow you've got to get the information. So the Bible lays out the plan of salvation here, but it does it in reverse. You've got to have someone teach you so that you hear the gospel, then you've got to believe it, and then after believing it, you've got to do something. You've got to call, you've got to obey, and that equals being saved. And so, I then ask, which one of these could you take away? Could you take away belief and it still work? No, I've never had anyone answer that wrong. Could you take away calling or obedience and this still work? No, it won't work. Could you take away hearing? No, it won't work. See, a person who doesn't hear can't believe. If they can't believe, they can't call. If they can't call, they cannot be saved. And you know, besides that, Acts 17.30 says, and the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. That is, there was a time in the past when God overlooked some ignorance, but now all men everywhere have to obey the gospel. Now, people rather frequently will ask this question. If baptism is really necessary, why isn't it mentioned in Romans chapter 10, 13, and 14? He mentions that you've got to have a preacher, hear, believe, 
And call, why doesn't he mention baptism if it is necessary? And the answer is, he does mention baptism. What does it mean to call upon the name of the Lord? There's at least two times in the book of Acts when this is defined. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 21, Peter says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. They interrupt Peter and they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? He just said, call upon the name of the Lord. They said, how? What do we do? He said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. So repenting and baptism equals calling on the name of the Lord. The second time is in Acts twenty-two sixteen, where Saul uh, is told by Ananias, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, comma, calling on the name of the Lord. It's a prepositional phrase telling how you accomplish the calling by being baptized. The calling equals obeying the Lord. And you know, besides that, in Romans chapter 6 that we just mentioned, that we are buried with Christ in baptism, we contact the blood, we're buried into His death, we're raised to walk in newness of life, that's in Romans chapter 6. This is in Romans chapter 10. The chapter dividers were not there in the original. So Romans 6 to Romans 10, do you know how long it takes to read? If you're just reading through, how long it takes to read from one to the other? I do because I tested it and timed it last night. It takes 12 minutes and 45 seconds. So if you were preaching this or reading this, that means in Romans he taught you've got to be baptized to be buried into the death of Christ as he continued talking, 12 minutes later, he said, this is what you need to do. It is mentioned in that context. If you will do these things and you obey, will obey the Lord, you exercise your faith by reaching out to the Lord in baptism. His promise to you is, I will cleanse you by the blood of Christ. That is what Devin did today. He understood the purpose of baptism and I was proud to have my picture taken with him today as a brother in Christ. And I felt a special kinship as a fellow paraplegic. But I want to thank the church here for all that you've done to reach out to him. I hope we can continue to repeat this with others. Maybe there's somebody here tonight who says, I want to be baptized. I want to be added to the body of Christ. I want to have remission of sins. I want my sins washed away. I want to be buried with the Lord and raised to walk in newness of life. If that is the case, we are ready to assist you tonight. Maybe you are here as a child of God. Maybe you haven't been walking in the light. Maybe you want to fix that tonight and get back on the right path and be right with the Lord. Tonight, if we can assist you in any way, we invite you to come. As together we stand and sing the invitation song.